0: I really am intent on, at some point, memorizing the entire corpus of Shakespeare. Like, that's just got to got to happen, with all due respect to those who want to memorize the Psalms, or... <laughs>
1: you are a nerd, man. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> he will learn it, and then he will spend the rest of his life quoting it at us. Endlessly. I love the annoyance in their <laughs> voices right now.
2: It's,
0: there's no celebration
2: in you trying to learn Shakespeare.
0: I'm like the younger brother on the podcast. You are listening to another episode of Mere Fidelity. My name is Matthew Lee Anderson. I am your host for the show. Our thanks to our friends at Lex and Press for sponsoring one more episode of Mere Fidelity. We can't get rid of them. Uh, you can't get rid of them either, and we wouldn't want to because they're great. You can see all the Lex and Press Mere Fidelity books of the month at Mere Fidelity. Thanks as well to the merry band of patron supporters. If you want to join the crew, keep us going financially, you can do so at merefidelity.com. Uh, also, we love people who rate and review us on iTunes. I was thinking about doing a rate and review us campaign uh, to tell us what you think there, because it's highly entertaining for us. So thanks for all of you for tuning in to yet another show. This is one we're really excited about. Uh, it's been a covenant month for us here yeah. at, at Mere Fidelity. and Presbyterianism? Presbyterians. is.
3: <laughs> those, those, Presbyterians are hot right now. Just, they're hot.
0: Everyone's into them. Covenant oh, College yeah. is doing great Comes and great goes work. pretty quick, guys. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we are delighted to have uh, Kelly Capuch, Professor of Theological Studies, Covenant College, the author of a new book that we're going to talk about, um, You're Only Human. How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. And speaking of hotness, what? limits. Oh, gosh, limits okay. are this is be the bad. new... This is going to be, there's nothing bad about this. No, we, look, we, it, it feels like there are a lot of books coming out mm. right now about the value of limits. So we did an episode in the fall with Ashley Hales, who has a new book on limits and learning to appreciate your limits and valuing them, uh, which is a great conversation. Strong would recommend it to our audience. Your book is on a similar theme, well, I'm I'm just curious. Why are limits so popular these days? I'm 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 entirely uninterested in limits. Yeah, I've gotten, yeah, yeah. That's but right. it seems like everyone's like, "Hey, here's the good thing. Here's the cool new thing: limits."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's fascinating. I mean, um, Alan Noble has written on some similar things, and so, there's some other things going out. And I, it, in some ways, actually, it's not popular, which is why you have people reflecting on it. And most of us, you know, I turned in my manuscript 13 months ago. You yeah. know how this goes, right?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and in some ways, you're like, oh, I can't believe everyone's writing about it. But in other ways, as I've had a chance to look at other people's books, I've been really delighted because they're actually quite different, even though they're circling around the same theme. Yeah. Uh, Ashley's is a really wonderful kind of a gentle movement, very practical, very, very rich. Um, Allen's is a really thoughtful kind of cultural analysis of some, some bigger patterns. And, and I'm doing something different. It's pretty heavily theological, although I hope it's quite pastoral at the same time. And I hope they actually complement one another, but rather than being discouraged, I'm actually trying to think, no, I think maybe God might do be doing something. At least that's my hopeful thought.
3: I mean, I, rem- I remember you were, I think we talked at ETS about five, maybe four or five mm. years ago, you were working on this project on, yeah. I was like, hey, what are you working on next? Cause I, I loved your last, the, the, the prior book embodied hope. That was an extremely helpful book on, on just dealing with chronic pain and and, and embodied the bodied reality of pain. And I was like, what are, you, what are you doing next? And you talked, said finitude, theology of finitude, like why it's good that we're limited. I thought, Oh man, that that's something I need. And, um, I'll just say, I'll just, I'll blatantly plug. This is a good book. I, I read your it hair. and I was just, I was, I loved it. Um, I mean, I, 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 told you and I, I've been recommending it to friends and family. I was mad that it wasn't out early enough to get as mm-hmm. Christmas gifts. Um, so like correct that error. I, I'm giving the plug for this, for the cell early, but I think, you know, thinking about this, you're only human and the, and the limits of, of your design that right there, that, that element, the fact that you're designed for limits and the goodness of it, uh, I'm going to ask you, like, w- what actually pressed that um, thought home, in a sense, first for you? Like thinking through finitude mm-hmm. as a good design, not a flaw, mm-hmm. right? It's not a bug. It's a feature. Uh, and yeah. so I'm, I'm curious what, what, what drove that for you first.
2: Yeah, uh, this is fun because this is, you know, you guys are a theolo- theological podcast you know theologically oriented so I can because there's there's three things and one's deeply they're all kind of personal but but the theological things the two that drove this home for me first were you know because honestly I'm not just saying that I, I've been wrestling with this for for 20 years or more and the first thing was in the late 90s when I was doing my PhD overseas studying under a guy named Colin Gunton um, he was very rich in his doctrine of creation And, um, you know, he just got me thinking about the goodness of creation and um, coming from some evangelical circles and having gone through a reformed seminary and great education at Wheaton and all of that. The truth was, I I actually don't think I had a strong doctrine of creation. And so I had been thinking about that. And Colin was one of those impetus to to think fresh about it, because I've really, you know, I've said this quite a bit publicly now, but. I really think evangelicals they they're like what do you mean we have a weak doctrine of creation we talk about it all the time but what what we actually talk about is when did god make the earth and how did he do it and that's not the doctrine of creation so anyways cre- thinking about creation and then the second thing is really studying the humanity of jesus um during the the late 90s and then since then thinking long and hard about that and then the personal the other personal side is just this is something I super struggle with I love efficiency I love productivity uh and you mentioned um, you know, pain and suffering. My wife had cancer in 2008, and um, praise God, was eventually declared cancer-free after surgeries and stuff. But then um, since t- 2010 to this day, she deals with chronic pain and fatigue every single day. So in some ways, God just uh, forced us to think through it. So having reflected on pain and suffering and lament, I actually finally felt ready to talk about the good of being a creature, too. It's hmm. a long answer.
0: It's a great answer. And I'm curious about the good of finitude and whether or not it is a good, um, to put it bluntly, right? Like so I I've thought about this as well for a long time. Um, most recently through just spending a ton of time with Carl Bart. You know, Bart's someone who he does he does have his limits, um, but he is someone who, in terms of thinking about finitude, and transcendence offers like potentially a really radical interpretation of finitude's value to the point where he he goes so far as as I think saying that death as a terminus, as an end of time, is actually maybe built into the structure of creation. That what's disclosed in Christ's death is that there is a kind of natural limit on humanity's time, which is, you know interesting provocative raises all sorts of questions for me i i'm thinking I'm, I'm curious about like finitude with respect to time I, I i read your book with an eye to this um how how can finitude be a creaturely good while the limit on human duration that we that death inaugurates remain a bad or an evil
2: Yeah. So it's a great question. And, you know, obviously some of it would would take much longer. I mean, Colin, who I mentioned, Gunton, um, I remember talking to him directly about these very issues, you know, and is it that all death is bad or is it just this kind of human death with all of its, you know, and he's drawing from Bart on that. Um, I actually I do think death, human death as we experience it, is a problem to be lamented it's not a and so i knew going into writing this book when i say the word finitude first of all most people it's not part of their vocabulary it's just kind of but actually all i mean by finitude and all it really needs to mean is it's a fancy word for creature and it doesn't have to mean about duration of one's life it can mean about the limits of one's knowledge one's energy one's capacities Uh, you're only one place, not every place. And so in the book, I'm explicit that when I use the word finitude, I'm thinking about all of those things and not necessarily death. Death, And in some ways, if you want to know what I think about death, I I would point people to, and suffering, I would point them to the the Embodied Hope book. But I I don't see these in competition. Um, It's actually, the short answer is, it's actually only the goodness of our creation and of being a human creature that allows us to make sense of why we can and should lament and why there is an ache and wrong in the whole thing, right? Um, but, you know, in classic orthodoxy, the idea is humanity didn't, wasn't made necessarily to die, but it could die, right? And anyways, all that to say, finitude doesn't have to mean death. It just means
0: limits. Yeah, that's good. So even even the, uh, the human creature that has uh, perpetual duration, perpetual mm-hmm. time, is still subject to conditions of finitude. They got to yeah, learn things over time. Yeah,
2: and I think in glory, we are still going to be creatures and finite.
0: Yeah, that but that's good change. because I because I really am intent on at some point memorizing the entire corpus of Shakespeare. Like that's just got to <laughs> this has got to happen. With all due respect to those who want to want to memorize the Psalms or <laughs> you know yeah. the New Testament, you are a nerd, man.
1: That's <laughs> great. <laughs> he will learn it and then he will spend the rest of his life quoting it. That's <laughs> oh, true.
2: Yeah,
3: endlessly. And yeah.
2: is, <laughs> I love the annoyance in their voices right now. It's so great. So. There's no celebration in you trying to learn Shakespeare.
0: I know. Annoyed. Uh, I'm like I'm like yeah, well, the younger brother on the podcast. No, They're like, like I, I oh,
1: oh Anderson.
3: Well, you know, you might love a song, and yet not everybody who sings it brings joy to you. So that's that's part of the Fair enough. Just looking at these chapters actually kind of just love the way you structured some of these chapters because they're, they're phrased as questions that like somebody might just ask, like, does God love me? Like he loves, but did he love actually me? Or like the, 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 the one that I loved actually was, because I remember just asking a million times in college. And then now why doesn't God just instantly change me on the question of sanctification? Um, I'll, I'll ask you on, on, on that one in terms of thinking through the process of sanctification, because oftentimes we're, we're, we feel like Christians, I want to go back to the creaturely limits, but in terms of like our regenerated limits, I think one of the, one of the greatest frustrations of the Christian life is like, Hey, um, why does this stuff still bug me? Like, why, why, why is not, why isn't holiness just oozing out of me now that I've been saved. Like why, why the struggle and the, and the, and the process of growing in grace, um, and how that is a good embrace of our limits. I'd love to just hear you, um, kind of go into that
2: a bit, uh, for folks. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it's, it's of huge pastoral importance, isn't it? Because huge, um, we, we proclaim Christ crucified. We, we, I guess put it this way, and I'm, I'm a Reformed theologian coming from that tradition. W- one of the questions is when people leave our churches or our counseling sessions or whatever, what are they most convinced of? And I actually think lots of times they're most convinced that they're sinners. That's the one thing we've convinced them of, right? Whereas, you know, to honor Matthew here, uh, they, <laughs> Bart would remind, no, 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 you're a saint, Right And I think the Apostle Paul would say, "No, no, no, you're a saint, and the thing you need to know is that you are saints, and the problem with sin is this disconnect between who you are and what's happening in your life, right? And so Christian ethics is about learning to be who you are. <laughs> um, but having said that, this whole tension of the now and not yet, and all of that, just psychologically, part of what's happening... Is we can feel that dissonance and we feel so discouraged, rather than no, no, no. Who you are and who you want to be is is a problem. Well, let me let me give you this example. So my son, who's now in college, came. Uh, we were talking the other day, and he said, you know, I was so discouraged because I, you know, screwed off. I wasted a bunch of time, and and he said, and then someone said to me, Jonathan, you're telling me about the person you want to be in five years from now. It's okay for it to be a process for you to move from who you are to that person in five years from now, and that's okay. We don't have any trouble thinking about that with our children. Well, why would God have trouble with the idea of process in our lives where he slowly takes us um, through a process? That The process is good, and I, I think it betrays kind of problems with our views of God where we really think God thinks we have to be perfect to be lovable, even though we would never say that. And so our lapses and our failure to appreciate process shows we really think God is only delighting in us when we're good all the time. That's kind of me meandering. We can go other directions if you want. Did any of that help? Any of that make sense?
3: It is, it's super helpful, especially the the paternal element of like, just thinking through the patience, but not, you know, we, we think about the patience of God and it's so often this like, you know, Toe tapping, looking at his yeah. watch. Got to put up with this again. Patience, and instead of uh, often, and sometimes, you know, <laughs> the, the Lord doesn't always just wait. He does. He does right. bring judgment at times. But there is a lot where, I mean, He's slow to anger. He, it, it takes yep. a long, a p- long time. He says that a lot, and it's almost like, what does it, what does it take for me to get you to believe that?
2: Yeah, he's slow it, to anger. There, don't you have? you have a newborn or how old is your kid?
3: I do. I do. Oh, okay. I have a six-month-old, uh, Constantine, and I, I wasn't going to go there. But, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so
2: so take Constantine, for example, right? So as she gets older, um, does she? He, Constantine. He, I just want to make sure. Okay. So yeah, as Constantine yeah, gets older, um, when he's learning to walk, you're gonna you're gonna take Constantine. You're gonna put his hand on the couch. You're gonna walk. You're gonna step back eight feet or so and say, "Come to me." And you know how this goes. And Constantine's gonna fall. Um, and by the way, don't be offended by the he/she. Uh, my name is yeah. Kelly. Okay, so yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I got going for me is people will think, "Yeah, finally, some more female theologians." So, <laughs> but anyways, um, but but Constantine you know what's going to happen. Constantine's going to take a few steps and fall and crash and look at you. And you're going to look at Constantine and say, what the are you doing? <laughs> right. Is that what you're going to do? Now I wish people could see the video because I watch your faces and you guys both like, what's wrong with like a father would never do that. We walk over to Constantine. You're like, Oh, it's all right. I got you. You lift him, lift him up and put, start again. So, um, It's just amazing. We would think so cruelly of a human father that spoke that way or thought that way of their kid, growing in the process of learning and and getting stronger. And yet, that's exactly how we think of the Heavenly Father, just ready to yell at us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. That's good.
1: The experience of limitations really seems to be a peculiarly modern one as we experience it, Mm. and in part due to medical and technological advances. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts upon the history of Christian reflection upon limitations and how it has changed through the development of new technologies and medications and things like that. Yeah,
2: that's a good question. Um, And I think you're hinting at this. In some ways, I don't think they thought a lot about it because they were so aware that they were creatures, right? <laughs> um, you know, your crops didn't grow if the rain didn't come and you were very aware of your utter dependence on things beyond you. Um, and part of what's happened in, in modern technology, you know, technology in the broad sense in the last couple hundred years is we, and much of it really, really good is we, we push against limits but then it can feed this myth of thinking that we really don't have limits. So I do think that kind of modern phenomena is partly why Christian reflection on limits needs a fresh needs fresh attention. Um but in terms of tradition I would look more in terms of just just anthropology, you know, how does Augustine treat what does it mean to be creature? How does Aquinas talk about that? How does you know, Teresa um, these kind of things.
0: That's good. That's helpful. I I wonder so you've got a, a chapter on touch, um, which I was delighted to see. Um, why does physical touch matter? And one of the things that you emphasize is the touch of Jesus within it, um, which I think is, is, is really wonderful. I mean, you capture a lot of the moments where Christ touches people within his ministry. I wanted to ask you about um, the Gospel of John. John 20 and uh, where where, you know, Jesus has been raised from the dead and Mary Magdalene comes and is weeping. And she sees who she thinks is the gardener. And uh, Jesus, you know, discloses himself and she recognizes him. And Jesus's line is touch me not. Oh, Mary. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's, it's a, it's a really fascinating moment. Um, And obviously like with everything that, that John presumably like writes later in the first shot, you know, who are the the one who are hands handled, right? It's he's, he's down with touching Jesus. Um, But what you have in that moment is a really sharp, like, don't touch me. Why does Jesus say that? And his, like in, immediately after being raised from the dead. And I'm like, I just, I'm just interested to hear you reflect on that moment in light of everything that you've thought about touch and the value of touch and, and Christ's ministry of touch with people who are hurting and, and broken.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I remember looking at that passage um, 15 years ago or so, I was writing an article um, with former student who's now a PhD, and you may know him, Wes Vanderlook, but we wrote on the Ascension in the Ancient Church, and and that passage is a very difficult one. I can't remember all that that we found. Um, but as you're describing, he does say, "Don't touch me." But it's I would say, if you're going to make sense of that episode, there is there's clearly something going on between Resurrection and Ascension, and 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 and. But you have to you have to read that alongside also where. His encounter with Thomas is, see my hands, you know, my side. And he basically invites him to touch, even though there's no evidence that he does. And so I do think um, I, I, you know, I I would put those two together. And for me, the Thomas episode is quite significant. And in classic orthodoxy, and this is something uh, I think is of super importance, is the ongoing humanity of Jesus. Right. And, you know, some of, you know, in the last 20 years in scholarship, there's been a lot of debate about the Ascension and, and thankfully people saying, seen the Ascension really matters. But one of the seriously serious debates is where is Jesus? That's actually a great question. Right. (laughs) And I'm of the tradition that thinks his ongoing humanity really matters. I don't have, it's a hard question to say where he is and how does he work out? But I think when Hebrews says he ever lives to make intercession, That first and foremost is about his ongoing humanity and even this sympathetic high priesthood. So the touch part, I think that is a very strange, and and the commentators, as you know, it's really a difficult one there with don't touch me. And so I'm trying to make sense of it in light of what he says to Thomas. But especially in terms of Hebrews, this sympathetic high priest, whoever lives, and his ongoing humanity, um, I think is significant.
0: How much much of it is... is might it be, and this is just me sort of speculating, thinking a lot about it, some sort of rejection of a kind of possessiveness or a, a, an impetus to grab hold and and to keep present, um, some sort of denial of the ascension where you wouldn't, you know, like Mary's inclination in that moment is to make sure that Jesus doesn't leave, right? And Christ knows he's going to have to depart. And so there's actually an appropriate distance That he is willing to put between himself and his people, uh, because he's going to send the comforter, and that's a whole stage of process that you know Mary and the church are going to have to go through.
2: Yeah, and I I think that's exactly right. And partly what seems to be going on in that passage is what you're saying, and and the misunderstanding that it's not just oh he's here to give us a hug because he's he's been raised as human and that's all. It does seem to be saying no, no, no. I'm ascending. I am not merely human, right? But to Thomas, it's I'm not less than human. I haven't given up my humanity, right? And so there might be those kind of those kind of things going on.
0: Yeah, good. That's helpful. I puzzle about that passage a lot. So you know, I I don't get to yeah. ask bona fide experts in this, about this very often. So yeah,
3: we, we all just have we all just have these podcasts with we'll guests on to like for for people just to just answer our questions. Um, that's true just like hey I, I always wondered um so speaking on speaking to go back a little bit to alistair's question with technology i think you know you have the most extended discussion on technology in your chapter on time do you have enough time anxiety of time i it's hard to pick which chapter is probably going to immediately resonate most with most people but if i had to pick a top 2 or 3 it'd be that one i i feel the pressing anxiety of like I have to get everything in and I don't have enough time, uh, you know, uh, job, baby patient, um, Twitter checking, like, you know, (laughs) I can't, I can't scroll enough. Uh, what if, what if I miss, what if I miss a good, you know, okay, whatever. But, but you get the point that that one in a sense, um, it, it, I mean, you can almost, I, I, you could feel your, your lungs starting to like tense up as you're reading, uh, thinking about all the things that press in. Um, I would just love for you to speak to that a little bit in the, in the contemporary moment of, of what theologically needs to be happening in our heart. What not, not theologically needs to be happening spiritually happening in our hearts as we, as we wrestle with the limits of time, because I think of all the good stuff I could do. I think of all that I could become. I think of like, I could have my languages down. I could, I could do all these things for the church. I could be an excellent father. I could, like, just give me 36 hours, Lord. Like that little Harry Potter fourth book where, where Hermione has a little, the little, the little clock thing that like turns back clocks so she can have oh, yeah, extra yeah, yeah. classes. Yeah. That, that, that to me is like, and Matt's cringing, and that's fine. Yeah. I'm sorry I read books that, Like I read a book as a young man that people understand what's happening. Okay. Like it's a contemporary reference, whatever. Okay. Kelly, ignore him. Answer my question. Minister to me. Okay.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard for me, right? So I can relate to everything. That's part of why I wrote this is, you know, I, I talk about this in embodied hope, but I, I actually don't know what I think until I write it, um, with clarity. Uh, that's also the gift of th- when we get to teach, you go, Oh, this is what I think. Right. Um, and so on a Monday, when I write my to-do list for Monday, um, when I, if I'm honest and I look at my list, it's not a to-do list for Monday, it's a to-do list for the week or for the month. So what happens is that by the end of the day, I just like, ah, oh, crap, this is a terrible day. I didn't get anything done because I, I have what, um, Justin Glee calls productivity shame. I've set myself up for shame with these unrealistic... Well, theologically, we have an answer to that. We're a creature. You can only do so much. You can only feel so much. You can only think so much. So I do think part of what's happened, though, is our reading of Scripture and our theology has been affected in modernity in ways we don't even appreciate. So take, for example, redeeming the time, right? Man, we love to redeem the time. Without even realizing that we all receive that now in terms of productivity and efficiency. So you better use every second of your day to the fullest. Squeeze everything out of that. And if you don't, God is not pleased. You're being lazy. I have now really just have big issues with that. So this is a long way of saying one of the f- delights of being, you know, I had a grant. And I was able to research. And one of the surprises that I loved getting to explore was the clock in the history of the clock, and the history of time. And um, so that's part of what shows up in that chapter. And the, the theological answer to kind of get to comforting you and me
1: that I did <laughs> not
2: expect when I started working on it was the fear of the Lord. I actually thought by the end, the answer to all of this anxiety and stress is the fear of the Lord, because that is an ancient Hebrew biblical way of talking about presence. And right now in our day, everyone's talking about presence again. I'm happy about that. But biblically, the idea is growing. In, the fear of the Lord is about fundamentally, it's not about being scared. It can sometimes be being scared of God. But it's fundamentally about an increased awareness of who God is, of his presence and his work. And as we grow in our fear of the Lord in an awareness of his presence and work, we also tend to learn to be more present with others. And that then is a different way of living in time. And once we embrace that, productivity and efficiency lose some of their power. Right. So everyone's not just a distraction from what really matters. And, and the last thing I'll just say is one of the comforts or one of the challenges I have to keep giving myself is when I die at the altar of productivity and efficiency and getting more done, the real loss is love. The surprise is efficiency and productivity are often the enemies of love. And the God who could have created the world in a second, no matter what your view of creation is, didn't. Which means efficiency and productivity aren't his highest models. He's comfortable with taking his time. And so we need to be more comfortable with things taking process and time. I don't know. We went from
1: Harry Potter to everything else. So here we go. No, it's good. Let's so what Alistair pulls out of his hat. Your last point reminds me of a great section of um, John Hughes's The End of Work, where he discusses the way in which the Protestant work ethic opposed work to idleness, not to contemplation and Sabbath, as it had previously been primarily opposed to or set over against. So when you think about your work primarily in terms of the alternation of work and Sabbath, It's very different when you've got this fixation upon work as opposed to idleness. That leads to something of this preoccupation with doing things and in that sort of um, hamster wheel of of labour. More more generally, um, and maybe getting back to some of the question that I raised earlier, a lot of modern technology is offering us a way to surpass our limits a possibility of maybe shrugging off some of our limits or circumventing them in various ways, whether through being present virtually rather than actually having spaces where we don't feel the limits of um, our physical bodies and our locatedness. Um, And also things like more dramatic changes to bodies, more dramatic technologies that enable us to uh, avoid some of the mortality of our bodies how should we react when technology gives us a real possibility of avoiding or, li- or radically limiting or overcoming one of our limits
2: yeah that's a good question i you know i think it's probably what you would say too i i don't think we can always be opposed but we definitely don't always want to accept right um And so there needs to be a cautious engagement. It is kind of, you know, I remember going through this literature and seeing, you know, all these good things like vacuum cleaners and the history of all these kind of inventions, which in many ways are wonderful and are meant to be time savers, often end up not saving time because what happens is you change your definition of cleanliness or expectation. And now you have another thing you're responsible for. So whether it's those kind of devices or. You know, I'm so thankful for a smartphone. I think it it can be incredible because I I you know my marriage could have fallen apart, but thankfully now I have GPS because I can never find out where I'm going. But <laughs> but now you know it's not me and my wife fighting about it. I don't, she can just say I'm not telling you. Look at your you know GPS, and so I'm very thankful. I, I don't want to be a luddite and against all all technological advances, but I do think, and maybe this is where you're hinting at, Alistair, I do think we need to at least ask. What might be some of the unintended consequences of this? Um, I'm not on social media. I know people who use it well and with integrity. Um, but I find it's probably just not a super healthy place for me. I, You know, when this book was coming out, the publisher, you know, publisher has been asking me to be on social media for a long time. And I hate. And when this book is coming out, the publisher said, contact some people, let them know that this is coming out. And, I, I you know, I I think I texted Derek and said, Hey, you know, consider putting this on. And as soon as I sent just an email to him, I felt like creepy. Right. (laughs) And so, but I, I do think that technological advances do always, and Matthew could talk about this probably better than me, but always have ethical consequences. And so I think we've just, it's, you know, this is all stuff, you know, just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And I think learning to be present is something I would like us to be thinking about when it comes to us asking about technological advances. Um, is this encouraging me to be present with God and others, or is it not?
3: Yeah. What I, I'll just really one quick comment here in relation to the advances in technology and limits. You know, there's the time issue, but I you know I spent a lot of times in gyms when I was younger, and I you know have had chronic pain issues. As well, and trying to overcome them. One of the temptations is the temptation of technology. Uh, that I, if I watch enough YouTube videos on how to, you know, reset my shoulder in the right position, or if I follow this, you know, if I have this little Fitbit on my arm, or whatever, you know, technology that Apple uh, included in their, you know, watch to, you know, kill Fitbit, whatever it is, then I can, I can master my body. I can master its limits. I can push them. I can be more than what I would ordinarily be. That temptation to extend the limits of our finitude. Um, I mean, you can see in, in, in the way that the way that fitness experts and, or fitness industry folks often, not all the healthy ones don't, but often will press the language of be more than you ever thought you could be. Or, or, or be more and essentially be they're, they're promising a, a superhumanity through technological modification that eventually it can actually on the far end of things lead to breakdown like you can work yourself into and this is something i've i've struggled with with that is is working yourself until you feel you come up against your limits hard uh while you were trying to sit while because you tried to transcend them, because you didn't Rest Sabbath. You didn't, didn't know that your body has those limits. So this is this is this is something I think like has massive implications for how we relate to our bodies, how we relate to you know. We talked about body image. You know, it's, it's not just I mean, I'll just say this, it's not just women that you know. We, we classically think of eating disorders and things like that, but the amount of young men who are working themselves to the bone in the gym uh, at, the, at the at your university gyms or locally or or on on crazy crash diets and crazy amounts of stuff, that element of transcending and technological modification is, um, I mean, this presses us into almost the transhuman conversation, uh, that transcends, but, but that, that to me is just so important for recognizing the good of creaturehood. And I think Matt had a, had a question related to this on God or different. I don't know, but, but this is, well, this is to me, I think of theologically God, God's infinity and, and my finitude. Yeah. Yeah. So. Go
2: on. Well, let me just, let me, before we jump on, let, let me, you brought up a lot there and the whole um, body image is huge. And as you know, kind of talk about not just female, but, but male, but let me try and connect a few dots for us in terms of technology, our finitude and limits. So another piece of technology we don't tend to think about is electricity, which is an incredible gift. I'm so thankful for it. Right. But one of the things that's happened is that we now live in what is called non-contextual time, which is a fancy way of saying that when it's 11 p.m. and I turn on the lights in my kitchen and open up my laptop and it, and it turns on, if I have an hour of work to do, I can do it. doesn't matter if it's 11 p.m. There's no context, right? Whereas in the history of the world and in much of the globe to this day, that's, that's actually not true because, um, we don't think about what our body chemistry is doing, right? We don't think about whether there are, you know, historically there are certain days that are long and certain days are short because of how much uh, sunlight there is. And we don't even think about that. So, so part of our challenge is we think we should be going all the time because there's always light. And I know we watch movies and see all the candles and everything. That's actually incredibly expensive. People, people you know, it's funny sometimes, you know, Christians like, oh my gosh, that person got up at 4am to pray. Yeah, they did. And sometimes that's because they had had a full night's sleep. (laughs) And, and so without realizing it, we can romanticize it, you know, and, um, they, they slept all night or, you know, anyways, so there is a difference, right? There is a difference of between what we would, again, studying time, what they would call contextual and non-contextual and our, and our disconnect from the creation, from the earth, from, from farming, from uh, the patterns of the sun, different weather things, all of that body chemistry means we feel guilty that we can't perform at a high level all the time. We were never meant to. That's ridiculous. But we actually, even in Christian circles, we've baptized it. So we actually just feel bad about ourselves constantly.
0: Hmm. Kelly, Kelly, can I ask with respect to the doctrine of creation? One danger in terms of retrieving a sense of limits is that we would spend a lot of time thinking about limits and um, our own limits, and that we would see those, that, that, that our attention would be drawn there. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Bart, actually, in Bart's construal of finitude is he's, he's constantly reminding us that the point of limits is not the limit, that at the limit we see God, right? Like what's significant about birth and death is not in fact that we reach the end of our time uh, or that our time begins, but that as we look at the end of our time, we come face to face with God. Um, and I'm just curious to hear you reflect as as you you talk about evangelicals have a weak doctrine of creation. Um you know, I've I have i I've been on that side for a long time. I think that's all true and all right. I I, I have in mind actually Mark Galley, who is now Roman Catholic, but before he, he converted, he wrote a book called, I think, something like We've Forgotten God. Um, and I actually think it's it's a it's a really astute diagnosis of uh, a kind of standard evangelical um, megachurch, if you will where so many things go on on a regular basis, but actually the triune God is not at the center of it. We're not actually spending as much time thinking about God as we uh, claim to be. Um, so I'm curious how, in the midst of this, as we, as we close off this conversation, how, how can we think about our limits as creatures but also think about God and make sure that we retain a sense of God's, the triune God's centrality to our own lives and see our limits as ordered towards or governed by or directed towards him.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Love it. Um, and almost 100 percent with you, except I want to expand it a little bit. So. It's a, it's a great question. The The point of is actually not to think of your limits um the point is <laughs> here here's the surprise you and i are limited because we're creatures whether the only difference is whether or not we recognize it and the uh, so for example when i have that chapter on you know have we misunderstood humility you, what you what your question is is exactly the point i think we have misunderstood humility even if there were no sin and fall, we were made to recognize, and I think this is your question, we were always made to recognize our utter dependence on God. Not recognizing that doesn't mean we're not dependent on God. It just means we don't recognize it, right? <laughs> That's called rebellion. Um, the one area I would expand on what you were saying, though, because I don't think it takes away from God, is that we were made to recognize always our utter dependence on God and our dependence on others, and our dependence on the earth. And that is just part of being a creature and the goodness of it. And so actually, always the focus has never been to focus on your limits. It's to focus on the other, the other being God, neighbor, earth. And so that would be the more expansive way. And in that, and Bonhoeffer has a great discussion on that, but sin is what disorders all of that dependence. But the dependence itself is not the sin dependence is the good part. And that is what helps us understand God. And the, the final thing I'll just kind of say, just because I know, I think a lot of pastors listen to your podcast, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. We hope so. Yeah. Yes, yeah. we hope so. So, but yeah. you know, I, here's one of these questions kind of tie in some of what we're talking about. Do you, if you're honest, I mean, every, pa- every Christian knows they're supposed to pray and all that. But if you're honest, do you feel guilty spending a long time praying? <laughs> because it actually feels like an utter waste of your time, if we're honest. Oh, and, and it is only when you and I grow comfortable being with God that we can grow more comfortable with being with a loving God, loving neighbor, go together. And there's a reason pastors are burned out, and we as the church are pushing them to be burned out. And the idea of, no, no, no listen, I need you to cultivate your awareness of your dependence on God so you can do that for me as my pastor because otherwise you don't even know you're doing it, but you are pushing me in super unhealthy ways to just be busy because you are.
0: I, I, I have never had the experience of feeling guilty for praying too long, but mm. this is now a life goal. Like, this is this is. I'm, I'm adding this to alongside of memorizing the Shakespeare corpus. This is gonna be a, an Anderson aspiration,
2: but you know what I mean. You feel guilty praying because you there's other things you should be doing that really matter,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to feel that one too. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, this is. No, this has been a great conversation. Um, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I Yeah, it's a great last word, and I don't mean to detract from it <laughs> no, you're from, good. with my jokes, but I, I I really do think it's the right sort of word uh, to give mm. to people. So thank, thanks for the book, and thanks for this conversation.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be with you.
0: Uh, if you've been listening along, uh, this has been a conversation with Kelly Capek. The book is Your Only Human, How Your Limits Reflect God's Design and Why That's Good News. Uh, We have more good news. We're going to give away a copy to one of our Patreon supporters, one of our existing Patreon supporters, and uh, also a new member of the Merry Band. So if you do want to join up with that and get a chance to get a copy of Kelly's book, the uh, link to do so is at merefidelity.com. Thanks to our friends at Brazos Press for offering to do that and for publishing just such a terrific book with great theology. We hope that you will all go get a copy. Uh, So, yeah, strong endorsement. We are excited to carry on this year thinking about ethics, limits, what it means to be a creature, how to live appropriately as Christians before God and in this world. That's what we do here at Mere Fidelity, and we have a great time doing it. We hope that you will join us in the weeks and years to come and that you'll bring a friend or two along with you. Until then, though, this has been Mere Fidelity.